Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. If you've been following me for the past year or so, you already know how big of a fan I am of boosting our metabolic rate. And one of my favorite ways to support our metabolic function is intermittent fasting. Now, recently I had Dr. Minnie Pels on talking about why women need to intermittent fast differently and how to do it right depending on your age. Now, if you want to go back and check out that incredible interview, it is episode 475, and I will have the link in the show notes. So not only do I practice fasting pretty much every day of the week myself, I often recommend some form of fasting to the women that I talk about because the benefits of fasting are straight up ridiculous. The obvious one is weight loss and weight maintenance, but it also improves brain function, energy, blood sugar balance, metabolism, digestion, longevity, and so much more. Now, if you're looking for a more thorough introduction into intermittent fasting specifically, go and check out episodes 382 and 278. I will have those links in the show notes as well so that you are fully taken care of. But today, I'm going to take things a step further because here's the deal. Eating within a certain window of the day, aka intermittent fasting, is great. But what if there was a method that also lined up harmoniously with our body's internal clock, aka your circadian rhythm, and that made fasting even more powerful? Well, turns out there is. It's called, you guessed it, circadian-based fasting, and it's a freaking game changer. So what is it? Well, I want to dive right in. But first, it's important to understand how your circadian rhythm works. Your circadian rhythm is your 24-hour internal clock that regulates how awake and or how tired you feel during the course of the day. Your circadian rhythm is controlled by an area of the brain called the hypothalamus, which is super sensitive to light. When your hypothalamus is exposed to light in the early morning, it sends out a signal to the rest of the body telling you that it's time to wake up. And that signal is the cortisol awakening response. Now, on the other hand, when it gets dark, your hypothalamus signals to your body that it's time to wind down. Now, the only other factor that regulates your sleep-wake cycle is your eating schedule. And lo and behold, it all comes down to two key hormones— Cortisol, which is the one that keeps you awake and alert, and melatonin, which is the one that helps you to wind down and go to sleep. Now, in a perfect world, cortisol rises in the morning, first thing in the morning via the cortisol awakening response, peaks again in the afternoon around lunchtime, and then drops in the evening. Now, melatonin does the opposite. It's the very lowest in the morning and then gradually increases as the day goes on. That means in theory, you wake up in the morning feeling energized and ready to go because that cortisol is surging, and then at night, you start to feel sleepy and relaxed, and then you head off to bed. Now, here's why when you eat actually matters. So circadian-based fasting encourages the timing of your meals with the rise and fall of the sun, as well as the corresponding surges and dips in cortisol. That's because cortisol has a significant effect on your thyroid hormones, which affects your metabolism of the food that you're eating. When cortisol rises in the early morning, your metabolism is also up and running, and you effectively use your food as energy instead of storing it as fat. Now, when cortisol dips later in the day, like in the mid to late afternoon, 
your metabolism simultaneously slows down, which makes it more likely that your body will store that food as you eat into fat, right? It goes into storage mode. So keep in mind that this is how it works with normal cortisol levels and cycles. If your cortisol levels get too high, like in times of severe stress, it can actually have a paradoxical effect where cortisol contributes to increased body fat storage and increased belly fat storage. Now, if you're under a very great deal of stress, it's important to get the stress under control before doing anything else. So please get the stress under control before you do any level of intermittent fasting. I found that when women have severe cortisol issues or it's not necessarily, it's not adrenal fatigue, it's just your stress response system is super whacked out, that intermittent fasting just ends up stressing the body out more and doesn't end up doing you any favors. So just something to consider if this is a consideration for you, just really gut check on the amount of stress that you're dealing with before embarking on any kind of intermittent fasting. Now, circadian rhythm fasting also considers the role of insulin. Now, when you eat, especially if you eat a meal that has a lot of carbohydrates, your body's going to release insulin in response to the rise in blood sugar, right? That's the job of insulin. According to researchers from the study that was published in The Cell in May 2019, if insulin rises at odd times, like when you eat a meal late at night, like after 8 p.m., it can actually disrupt your circadian rhythm and increase your risk for long-term health problems like type 2 diabetes and heart disease. I actually had a whole episode on the five side effects, and believe me, these were adverse side effects of late night eating. And it has everything to do with messing with your insulin and messing with your circadian rhythm. Now, insulin also promotes the storage of body fat, especially if you eat too many carbohydrates or calories, especially if you're eating them later in the evening. So I want to just break down what's the difference between circadian-based fasting and intermittent fasting. While circadian-based fasting shares similar characteristics with intermittent fasting, the circadian-based fasting is a little bit stricter when it comes to timing and I believe is optimized to benefit your hormones, especially insulin and melatonin. Now, unlike intermittent fasting, which allows you to determine your own feeding schedule, as long as you stick to a 12 to 16 hour fasting window, the circadian rhythm diet requires you to stop eating by 7 p.m. Now, if you've listened to some of my episodes recently, I've been talking about early time-restricted fasting, which can also go with circadian-based fasting. And I personally recommend moving your eating window where you stop eating by 6 p.m., 7 p.m. at the latest. But ideally, if you can eat at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, it's even better. Now, right now, it's in the winter, and so we know that the sun is still setting on the earlier side. So the earlier we can eat, especially in the winter months, is actually better for us and still aligns with our circadian rhythm. Now, another big difference is that the circadian-based fasting regimen encourages eating breakfast in the morning when cortisol is at its highest. Many people following regular intermittent fasting schedules skip breakfast entirely and eat their first meal around lunchtime. This is another thing that I really love talking about is when we're talking about circadian-based fasting or early time-restricted fasting, let's say you stop eating by 7 p.m. and it is a 12-hour window, then you start eating at 7 a.m. But let's say that you stop eating by 6 p.m., well, then if you go and eat a 12-hour fast from 6 p.m., it's going to be 6 a.m., but let's say you want to kick it to a 14-hour fast, that's 8 a.m. So for me, 
often I stop eating at 6 p.m. I shut it all down after that. And I've noticed on my continuous glucose monitor that my blood sugar levels are way more stable if I stop eating at 6 p.m. than if I even stop eating at 7 p.m. or by 7 p.m. Then I roll all the way to 8 a.m. the next day. That's a 14-hour fast. And I actually eat a little bit before my workout so that I have some energy in the tank for the workout. And then I have my next meal a couple, like an hour after the workout. So again, it's just really figuring out you know, what, what works best for you. But I find that if we really want to create more metabolic flexibility and create more insulin sensitivity, especially if we're struggling with insulin resistance, that the earlier we can eat in the evening, that kicks off the start of our circadian-based fasting. And then we don't eat until the next morning, at least 12 hours later, which again, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., you know, whatever works best for you. Or you can even kick it a couple more hours, like a 6 p.m. to 8 a.m. or a 7 p.m. to 9 a.m., just kind of figuring out what works best for you. And so that's exactly what the last real noticeable difference in circadian-based fasting is, is you build it around 12-hour windows, right? So you've got 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., right, where you are fasting, and then 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., that's the window where you're eating. So that's that's what I'm loving. I, I think that when it comes to starting and integrating intermittent fasting where it's the most beneficial for your body and your hormones is literally, you know, sun, sundown, sun, sun up, sun up to sundown, right? Or in that fasting window, it's sundown to sun up. And just kind of figuring out and playing with how early can you get away with eating dinner without having any snacks afterwards? And then, you know, what is that good time for you in the morning to kickstart your metabolism? Now, remember, anytime we're kickstarting our metabolism in the morning, which I do think breakfast is a great option because that's when we're burning the most fat, we're burning the most calories, we have the most kind of metabolic rate working in our favor. So skipping breakfast isn't always the best idea. You could push breakfast out a little bit, but don't completely skip it because you're missing out on some of the best fat-burning hours of the day when you end up skipping breakfast especially if you work out in the morning, which I highly recommend because again, cortisol is already up and we already have the most energy in the morning. So schedule that workout in the morning, but schedule a little something before that workout and then have a protein forward meal after that workout as well. And I think every single one of our meals should be protein forward. That really constitutes a metabolically healthy meal when it comes to keeping our metabolism humming. So when it comes to circadian-based fasting, Also just note, these are really important pieces that really help to make it easy. One, it's important to come into circadian-based fasting just having a pretty low stress level, right? Again, we're never going to get rid of all of our stress. That's completely and utterly impossible. But if you find yourself super, super stressed out and you're overwhelmed, or even those couple of days before your period, I just say give it a rest, right? It's probably not serving you. The juice isn't worth the squeeze there, and it's causing more stress than good. Also note that when it comes to circadian-based fasting, you are reducing inflammation and it can move you into healing inflammatory diseases like autoimmune disease and even IBS. 
It improves symptoms of metabolic disorders, certain cancers, and neurodegenerative disease like Parkinson's, and has even been touted as a powerful way to combat internal and external signs of aging. I think that has everything to do with helping to maintain and stabilizing blood sugar because we know when blood sugar is out of control, it leads to glycation, which causes wrinkles in the skin, right? It causes early signs of aging. So if you're interested in getting started in circadian-based fasting, I actually have a couple episodes where I talk more about this. But there's a couple of considerations to, con- to just really like think through. One, you want to make sure that your stress levels are in good condition. You want to be tracking your menstrual cycle. I do not no- normally recommend anything but a 12-hour fast that week before your period. And for some of us, it just may be out of the picture. Like that one week out of your cycle, it just may be worth not considering fasting at all because it just ends up stressing our body out more. I don't recommend it for women that are pregnant or those with serious conditions, or women that are breastfeeding in their first six months to nine months. I'm still breastfeeding, but I'm I'm not making very much milk anymore. It's more of a comfort thing than it is anything. And obviously, Kingston eats three meals a day plus snacks, all the things. And so I didn't start even circadian-based fasting, like a 12-hour fast, a seven to seven, until he was a year old. Um, That's when he was like eating food, all of that. So just something to consider. I've talked about fasting for breastfeeding before in the past, but I just wanted to address it really quick as well. And then always, it's all about starting slow, right? Start with the 12-hour fast. A 7 p.m. cutoff feels good to you. Then you know that 12 hours from there, 7 a.m. is when you break that fast with a metabolically healthy breakfast. And then you can work towards 16 hours. I rarely make it to 16 hours. I often make it to between 14 and 15 hours. That's kind of my sweet spot because most of the time my my workouts are just so hard and challenging. I really do need fuel going into them. So again, everybody's body is a little bit different. Now, just to kind of lay it out in terms of how it looks in the morning, you want to get at least five five minutes or more of natural sunlight first thing in the morning by stepping outside and just basking in that yummy, you know, yummy sunshine. As my, even I know it's cold right now, but do your best. Eating within two hours of waking up. So I typically eat between eight and ten a.m. I, I wake up at seven. I wake up with my son Kingston around seven, and then I typically eat between I'd say eight and nine o'clock the latest would be 10 for me. Focus on protein, healthy fats, and fiber. This morning, I had a protein-filled green smoothie with tons of green leafy vegetables, frozen cauliflower florets, medley of berries, my bone broth protein powder, the chocolate protein powder, a little bit of, of almond butter, a little bit of avocado, blend it up, serve it up to everybody in the household. So that is what we ate this morning. But yesterday, I had salmon cakes and a salad, right? So I'm always making sure that I've got a lot of protein, healthy fats, and fiber to make it work for me. Try to work out in the morning, as I mentioned before. You are definitely in fat-burning mode and energy, like up-leveling mode. So the juice is worth the squeeze for working out in the morning, especially as we get older. Note that when you are fasting, black coffee, tea, water, sparkling water is good to go. I don't, I'm still torn on putting butter in your coffee. I do not do that. And then also just develop a solid morning routine that feels really good to you. Daytime, obviously snacks aren't doing anything for us. You know I'm all about the three meal magic. So ideally three meal magic per day. You have your your breakfast kind of on the, you know, within the 12 hour to 14 hour window. 
Then you have a metabolically healthy protein-forward lunch. And then you have your dinner before 6 or 7 p.m., whatever works best for you. Again, before 6 p.m. is really my sexy window where I see some great metabolic flexibility and I really allow my insulin levels to stay more sensitive and I don't head into the realm of insulin resistance. So the other thing I always recommend is your biggest meals ideally are breakfast and lunch not dinner. I know it's hard. I, I Often my, my biggest meal is still dinner sometimes, but I aim to have a decent breakfast and lunch so I'm, I'm not eating the kitchen sink at dinner. And then always, as I say, walk after meals, even just for 10 minutes, although that ideal time slot is like 15 to 20 minutes after a meal. And then at night... Again, eat your last meal at least three hours before bed. Ideally, the earlier the better. Again, aim for a 6 p.m. cutoff time or a 7 p.m. cutoff time. No screens and work an hour before bed. Try to go to sleep between, I would honestly, I'd say try to get to sleep around 10 to 11 p.m. I know some of you are already, I know some of you are listening and you're like, man, I go to bed at nine. And some of you are like, man, I'm working on trying to get to bed before midnight. I get it. But we want to make sure that we are working with our circadian rhythm. So for me, it's 10 p.m., I'm in bed, and then I get up around 7 a.m., sometimes a little bit earlier, but I co-sleep with my son, and I often, he sleeps right on me, and if I want him to stay asleep the longest, I just lay in bed with him. And then if you really need support in helping to get good, deep, restful sleep, which I know so many of us do, right? I have so many episodes on a good sleep routine. I have a great solid sleep routine and sleep hygiene in my last book, The EO Menopause Solution. But one of my favorite, favorite supplements to take is Zen Sleep to help boost melatonin level and sleep better. But one of the other reasons why I love Zen Sleep is it has has 5-HTP in it. And for so many women, so many people, we are low on serotonin. And 5-HTP, 100 milligrams of 5-HTP is one of the best ways to boost serotonin. So what I love about my Zen sleep is not only is it a great relaxer and a great way to get a really deep, restful sleep at night, but it also helps to boost. It's a serotonin brain food supplement as well. So it, it it's, a, it's a two for one. So I take it for two reasons. One, my serotonin levels are not where I want them to be right now. I don't know if it's because I've been breastfeeding for so long or I've been what I've been a mom for the last two years. It probably, it's a combination of the two. So my serotonin levels are not where I want them to be. So my commitment is I take two capsules of Zen sleep every single night, not only to help, I boost melatonin, kind of help support my circadian rhythms, get that deep restful sleep and give my brain and my gut fertilizer for building more serotonin so that I am feeling, just feeling better and my brain is working better. Now at the end of the day, Fasting can be a great way to rewind our years, heal our body, boost longevity, and support our metabolism and our hormones. Um, And luckily, it's really one of the easiest things that we can do. Now, I'm not going to lie. The first couple times you you decide to do circadian-based fasting, I'll tell you what, especially if you're a late night eater, which I talk to so many people and they are. There's a lot of us, a lot of people are. I gave up late night snacks a long, long time ago. And I will tell you, in the beginning, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard as hell (laughs) because if you've been used to late night snacking or mid-afternoon snacking, your body and your brain chemistry is used to it. So you got to find ways to swap it out. 
So my recommendation, if if indeed you're going to try circadian-based fasting and you want to move your eating window a little bit earlier, like to a 6 p.m. cutoff or a 7 p.m. cutoff, my recommendation is having a, like sparkling water, sparkling iced tea, some kind of adaptogenic drink with holy basil, like a Tulsi tea, a rooibos tea, something else that you can swap out for that habit of having a late night snack or even a mid-afternoon snack. That way you can support your circadian rhythms. But after a while, after you, you cut off your eating window at 6 or 7 p.m. and you don't eat again until the next morning, you're going to find after a couple of weeks of that, it's so, so easy. Your body adapts, your insulin levels adapt, your blood sugar adapts, your metabolism adapts, and melatonin and cortisol adapts as well. And it's just such a big win for us overall. So I hope that this episode was helpful. I hope that you learned a lot of things from this episode and that you are potentially interested in trying circadian-based fasting, even if it's just a couple times a week, just to kind of get started and see how you feel. Also, I'm going to have the links to the episodes inside of the show notes. You can go and dive deeper in. And if these tips today supported you in any way, be sure to subscribe to the show for more easy ways to heal your hormones and to upgrade your health. And if you have a second, please be sure to rate the show because we're almost at a thousand. We're like close to, I think, 750 ratings right now. And that's amazing. I'm trying to get to a thousand because here's the deal. When we get to that thousand mark, there's going to be more women listening in, more women getting this information and really becoming the CEO of their health. So if you get a chance, make sure to subscribe and rate the show. That way I get to show up to serve more women just like you. Until the next episode, have an amazing day. 